Sales win rates have plummeted to a mere 17%, and outdated technology and tedious manual processes are to blame. Meanwhile, managers lack the visibility they need to hold their teams accountable. But imagine a world in which these crippling issues are solved automatically. Revenue.io automates the most frustrating parts of sales so reps can focus on what they do best, selling. Completely automate pre-call research, logging conversation data in your CRM, writing post-conversation recap emails, and prioritized outreach. And as reps book more meetings and close more deals, managers gain the real-time insight they need to scale what's working across their entire team. Ready to say goodbye to tedious sales processes and watch your win rate soar? Head over to Revenue.io to learn more. The difference between having a great quarter, making your number, or reporting a bad quarter often comes down to the effectiveness of your sales team's discovery calls and demos. But how do you make sure your reps are doing the right things on their calls in order to finish the quarter strong? Well, introducing Gong.io, the number one conversation intelligence platform for B2B sales teams. Gong helps you ensure your reps are doing deep discovery calls and crisp sales demos by recording, transcribing, and analyzing their calls. And Gong allows you to understand how well your playbook is being followed and analyze how well it's working so you can constantly move the needle on your win rates. Now, if you request a demo of Gong as a result of hearing this message, you'll get a free ebook copy of my award-winning book, Zero Time Selling, 10 Essential Steps to Accelerate Every Company's Sales. So go to gong.io forward slash accelerate to request your no-obligation demo and get your copy of my award-winning book, Zero Time Selling. Again, that's gong.io forward slash accelerate, G-O-N-G dot I-O forward slash accelerate. So go there now and come back and enjoy today's episode. It's time to accelerate. Hey friends, this is Andy. Welcome to episode 584, 584 of Accelerate, the sales podcast of record. Joining me on the show today is Kevin Cruz. Actually, Kevin's coming back for a second visit. Uh, you'll want to check out his previous appearance on the show as episode 82, in which we spoke about his New York Times bestselling book on personal productivity titled 15 Secrets Successful People Know About Time Management, The Productivity Habits of 7 Billionaires, 13 Olympic Athletes, 29 Straight-A Students, and 239 Entrepreneurs. Kevin is the founder and CEO of LeadX.org and host of the LeadX podcast, which I was fortunate enough and honored to be on just a couple weeks ago. If you want to go check out that episode where we talk about the four principles that lead you to sales dominance. On this episode, we're going to talk about leadership. And how leadership is necessarily evolving and changing as everything around us changes, becomes more automated. We'll dive into how leaders in this environment will connect and inspire the people when there's really so much happening in terms of distractions in the workplaces. You know, how do you capture the attention? Just as we start talking about sales, how do you capture the attention, attention and inspire your customers? Well, how do leaders connect and inspire their people? We'll also talk about some of Kevin's 51 tips to win at life. So a list he had put together I found really very interesting and fun, actually. And we'll talk about some of the key key points from there. If you'd like to see the summary notes for this episode, go to andypaul.com forward slash 584. Now, a couple weeks ago, I'd had a quote in my weekly newsletter. Actually, if you don't subscribe to my weekly newsletter, please go to andypaul.com. Sign up. Uh, once a week, you get a, a great newsletter full of information about... Uh, 
well, things are going on in sales and, and uh, things I think are important. And I put a quote into my weekly newsletter that generated a lot of comments, a lot of really incredibly positive response. And enough so that I thought, okay, that really struck a chord with a lot of people. Perhaps I'd share it here with you. And the quote's from Vince Lombardi. In my mind, perhaps the greatest football coach ever, but I'm biased. I grew up a Green Bay Packer fan, and and uh, so anything associated with the Packers is <laughs> is high on my list. But but he was also Lombardi is also a very inspirational leader and and sort of a quote machine. I mean, he, everything that seemed to come out of his mouth was a an aphorism that that people are writing down and and reprinting and using. So here's a quote from Lombardi about the power of habits. And if you listen to the show at all, you know that I'm a huge believer in the power of habits to shape success for you in, in your career and in life. And so here's this quote, and let me just share it with you quickly. From Vince Lombardi, it says, quote, Winning is a habit. Watch your thoughts, they become your beliefs. Watch your beliefs, they become your words. Watch your words, they become your actions. Watch your actions, they become your habits. Watch your habits they become your character. Character. Now, that, that's a loaded word, and it's a word we don't talk enough about in sales. I mean, we talk about trust all the time and the importance of building trust in, in a relationship with a client or a buyer. But the foundation for that trust is your character, right? I mean, you're not going to be able to build trust with a customer if they don't respect you, if they don't respect your character. So I just thought it was a great quote. See how everything is interconnected that you do, that becomes your habits, that define really who you are as a person. All right, I have an important announcement for those listeners who are sales leaders, vice presidents of sales of high-growth SaaS companies, software service companies. You want to listen up because I'm teaming up with my friend Jocko Vanderkoy, who's the founder of Winning by Design and author of a great book called The Blueprints for a SaaS Sales Organization. And we're launching the Sales Leadership Accelerator Mastermind. Now, this is an intensive 12-month learning, coaching, and mastermind program for the vice presidents of sales of high-growth SaaS companies. So if the responsibility sits on your shoulders to scale your revenue and team to hit the $100 million mark and beyond, then the Sales Leadership Accelerator Mastermind will help you transform how you sell, scale, and develop the capability of your team to crush their goals. So if that description fits you, then this is the program for you. Now, enrollment is limited, very small group we're going to be working with. So first come, first serve, go to the website now to get more information. It is spelled, I'll spell it out for you. It's S-A-A-S-S-L-A-M.com. That's sasslam.com right now to learn more and enroll today. All right, let me remind you that today's show is brought to you in part by our friends at gong.io. Gong analyzes your sales calls and demos so you can understand what's working and what's not. It's a great coaching tool to help managers boost rep productivity. Check it out at gong.io forward slash accelerate. If you do that today, you get a free copy, free PDF copy of my award-winning book, Zero Time Selling. So that's gong.io forward slash accelerate. Okay, here we go. Let's jump into it. Kevin Cruz, welcome to Accelerate. Great to be back. Yeah, your second second appearance on it. And so uh, I've got a standard question I ask everybody at the start off the show, and, and this is... In your, in your mind, in your opinion, in your experience, what's, what's the single biggest challenge facing sales organizations today? 
Well, I, I think I'm guessing you probably hear this uh, from a lot. I mean, I think it's the biggest problem is just getting through all of the noise and getting through onto people's schedules. You know, I think we're in that double whammy where, you know, I look, I started, uh, you know, making 50 to 100 calls a day 30 years ago, starting, you know, my first business. And it wasn't easy then. It's never easy to cold call, to prospect, to break through to, right. you know, a, a, an enterprise decision maker. But you always knew the numbers worked. And, you know, you whether it was 100 calls to get, you know, 10 pickups and 10 pickups to get one meeting, whatever the math was, it, you knew what it was. And I just think it's tremendously harder now. I mean, we're in, we're in an age where, you know, people aren't answering their phone. And then for a while, you could at least get through on email. A lot of people aren't getting through email or they're more uh, things are getting stuck, you know, in spam filters. For a while, it was social media, but now everybody's pounding everybody with social media. It's just very difficult uh, to uh, to get through. And I think that when you do get through, you know, people are just so time starved unless they've got a major problem that you can help them with in the short term. It's hard for them to work on their medium and long-term things. It's hard to get their attention to say, hey, you know, things are going well for you, but they could be going great. And for a lot of people, you know, going well is is good enough. Well, <laughs> so now there's there's this, I don't say pushback, but sort of a pushback against this whole concept of good enough, right? I mean, Subir Chaudhuri's book and and others talking about you know, time to step it up that we're sort of accepting mediocrity. And once we do that, you know, it just becomes endemic. Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, I think it's, <laughs> it's the, it's on the side of the buyers and the organizations that, uh, this has gotten to this point. It's a problem, right? You know, they are not making time for innovation. They're not making time to get to, to excellent. But from a sales professional standpoint, I think the reality, unfortunately, is it is just harder than, than ever before. Um, I, I think that, you know, you still have to provide tremendous value. You know, I think if you are an expert, if you are educating, it gives you a leg up. Uh, but even then, you know, it's again, you know, five years ago, pretty easy to break through with a, a solid webinar. Now, you know, people are getting 10, 20 webinar offers a day as they're not, they're not very novel. So I think it's just getting, uh, you know, more and more challenging to break through. But I, I'm curious, Andy, you know, we haven't spoken about this before the show sure, sure. on your own thoughts, you know, like what do you see as, as you're out there uh, <sighs> really with more organizations than I am on this topic? What are you seeing? Well, I mean, I, I, yeah, I don't know that I necessarily agree that it's harder. I think it's just hard. Um, yeah, I wrote about this recently as, uh, you know, that sales is neither harder nor easier than it was before. It's just hard. Mm. Um, and, you know, I don't think anybody ever, I mean, I, I was like you, I started out making 30, 40, 50 cold calls a day on businesses in person, not, not over the phone. Um, you know, that had its own unique set of challenges. Was it harder or easier than today? Yeah, it's just hard, right? Um, mm. People didn't answer the phone when we called back. Several decades ago, they didn't pick up the phone either. They had secretaries, <laughs> right? I mean, I had secretaries that you know would say they'd pass the message, but never did, right? At least, I, at least right. email doesn't make a decision whether or not to. to at least, not yet. It's not smart <laughs> enough to leave the decision, make a decision whether it wants to leave the message or not, right? So, um, I think it's just it's still just hard, and I, I I think that I think there's too much. I don't say too much pressure because there's always been a pressure to make the numbers, but given that or the influence we have with the big data and the analytics and some of the metrics that we can track, you know, greater transparency. 
I think there's too much focus on the activities and not enough on sort of helping and serving the customer and making those connections in a way that that really do set you apart from your competitors. You know, thinking outside the box a bit. I mean, I think on whole sales is becoming a little too scripted and understand why you do that. But I think in some cases it goes too far. And as a result, you know, there's not this chance to make an authentic connection with somebody that you want you actually do reach them. So if there's one one problem, I'd, you know, I'd probably sort of group that together. Is, and a lot of people talk about it as, yeah, we're putting too much on the salespeople's plate. Mm. You know, it's, it's, are there too many technologies we're asking them to master? Uh, certainly in, let's say, tech fields. You know, right. too, many, too many applications we're asking them to master. Too many metrics we're giving them to track. And what happens when we do that is, is we sacrifice this idea of really, like I said, really authentically connecting with a customer. Yeah, no, I, I, that makes a lot of sense to me. And, you know, my uh, early companies were in the, uh, you know, pharmaceutical sales training field, life mm-hmm. science, life mm-hmm. sciences. And 10 years ago, uh, they started, you know, rolling out tablets when the iPads, you know, came sure. out and everything. And the first thing the sales and marketing organizations, you know, wanted to do was uh, throw the brochures, the visual aids onto the iPad and then they sort of forced the presentation flow so that basically the pharmaceutical rep was supposed they wanted the rep to show up flip on their iPad and, and stand there holding it right. you know for 5 minutes and going out the door and of course the reps rebelled and it was not effective it was just to your point they were they were expected to sort of run this technology and run things and it took away the personalization the the relationship building the rapport building the tailoring to customer styles and uh, when the reps you know basically did not go with the program they then activated in many cases the the gps and they started tracking <laughs> is this app turned on at the location you're supposed to be at your third third sales call at 10 o'clock in the morning right and so then you know it was sort of like a big brother forcing them to do this one per you know quote unquote perfect sales call that marketing concocted and of course but the problem with these things is that uh, they never work. So the reps could outsmart it. The reps would basically get into the doctor's office and while they're still in the lobby, they would turn on the iPad the and button. let it run through the model call, just sitting there in the chair. Yeah. Then they turn the thing off, stick it in their bag, go back and talk to the doctor. <laughs> yeah. But, and, but it, that sort of represents sort of a leading edge of a trend that's, that is going to happen. You know, whether we, there's no stopping it. I mean, we're seeing artificial intelligence and machine learning and, and you know, powered by greater processing power, that that yeah, we already see it in some customer care applications. You know, you can call certain companies, and you're being handled by uh, you know by a machine, basically. Right. Uh, in other cases, online, you're being handled by a bot that sometimes seem kind of seamless. But you know that that's going to have a bigger and bigger presence, just inevitably. And so, what you take away from when you do that, what you do take away is the person, right? the personal aspect of it, the human aspect of it that that you know, many authors are pointing out is, yeah, at the end of the day, perhaps when in this environment, you actually become, you know, if the company needs to think about this, you actually, your people have greater value if they can become more human and connect with people as opposed to less human. 
Absolutely. I mean, it's our only edge left, but I do fear, you know, it's something I talk about, you know, on my own show, my own audience is it's not something I fear personally, but that, you know, the robots are coming, the AI inspired uh, computers and chatbots and everything are coming. And I don't believe that they're going to eliminate all jobs, (laughs) but I do think they're going to eliminate 80% 80% of most jobs. And, you know, to your point, will they eliminate all customer service reps, all call center, you know, personnel, will they eliminate all sales professionals? No, I don't think so. But I think that for, you know, as the AI gets smarter and more effective, starting with transactional sales processes and then moving up from there, I think a lot of reps would be at risk. And the ones who will survive are the ones who who can connect on an emotional level, who can be creative, who can, you know, find ways to penetrate that account that nobody else can. Um, so I, I just think it, it's a wake up call or a reminder, really, for mm-hmm. all of us to, you know, be lifelong learners, to continue to invest in our own, you know, careers and our soft skills, which I like to call power skills, uh, to lead ourselves every day to get a little bit better, because we'll be the ones that, you know, keep our jobs as the the bottom 80%, I think, will, you know, get replaced over the next 10, 20, 30 years. Yeah, I mean, I, and that's, the scale is an interesting question to talk about, right? Because I, I don't know that I necessarily believe it'll be that that great a percentage, but clearly it will be some percentage. I mean, we're horrible at predicting the future, right? But Absolutely. <laughs> but, um, you know, uh, Jeff Colvin in his book, Humans Are Underrated, you know, gives an example of, gosh, I think it was just in 2013, like all these respected scientists came out and said, no way autonomous cars will ever work. Right? <laughs> Too many right. variables at play, they can't be controlled, da, da, da. Yet, you know, here we are a few years later, this, you know, test models have been driven hundreds of thousands of, of miles on them. And it's clearly going to happen. Clearly going to happen. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and so, even in, yeah, our, our ability to predict are, are imperfect. But I think the prediction about uh, again, as Colvin uses the term, become more intensely human, is that that is actually a prediction that that's really true. Is, you know, if you want to carve out a niche for yourself, whether it's in sales or whatever profession that you have, is the ability to connect with another human on a meaningful level and inspire them to take an action is going to be essential. Yeah, and I, I'm glad you put that point in to connect with them and to inspire them to take action, because that's obviously you know critical, uh, especially in sales. Well, I think on lots of things, right? Right, right. But but I think that it's it raises this whole question about well, we're we're going to get into this topic talking about leadership because it's one of the things that you you focus on with your show and and your writing is is yeah, you know, what is what is the impact on leadership of these same trends? You know, for replacing eighty percent of the employees, let's say, with with automation, with machines, with robots, if that's the case, what does that mean for leadership? Well, I, I think that um, you know, there's when 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 there are managers of people, I think they really are wearing two hats. You know, they're they're managing a job function, they're responsible for some output of that business unit, and then you know, with their leadership hat on, and this is usually the one people forget to wear, but um, you know, they're supposed to be leaders of people, not just the managers of tasks, not just managers of output. So I think you know, today uh, organizations are are vastly underled as it as it is. Um, I think that as we have fewer people in the jobs, it, you know, it, you'll still have you'll need fewer leaders. I don't know that um, 
again, because of the human part, I, you know, I think that leaders, managers will be able to manage bigger and bigger chunks of a business as things get automated you know, by watching metrics and managing. But I think, you know, the ideal ratio of eight to 12 humans per each human leader is a good uh, is a good ratio. And, and you know, I wish I wish every business card out there that had the word manager on it. I wish that word manager was replaced with coach, because I think that would be more clear, uh, more clearly describe what we need from our leaders, from our managers. We need them to be coaches. We need them, you know, uh, to, to coach us into, you know, a better career path, a bright career path, you know, coach us into all the, the things we need to get, to get better at, um, what, what coaches do in sports. But a lot of times I think, you know, that gets in most cases, I think managers are, are managing the, the output and not leading, leading their people. Um, you know, I think that there's, I think it will be easier, and this is some of the, I can't talk about all of it, but some of the research that we're doing here uh, at LeadX is around using AI to to augment and to provide the just-in-time support and training to managers. You know, the corporate training function has been, is always been dramatically broken, and I've made a lot of money from that function. And yet I'm the first to say that, uh, you know, 90 plus percent of what someone learns in a one day workshop or God forbid, a five day workshop, you know, they, they completely forget and or never apply back at work. Uh, most e-learning programs are horrible. You know, so the, the the traditional way we've been training managers how to lead people, either they receive no training at all, it's poor quality training or even the best training doesn't apply. And I think these trends you're talking about, you know, if you imagine you, you everybody has an, an Amazon Alexa type advice on their desk, mm. or at least, you know, their phone on their hip that's always listening, then we can ask people, you know, um, hey, I need to uh, hire, I mean, you know, I need to interview Andy in an hour. Um, remind me of those illegal questions I'm not allowed to answer, <laughs> or give me five questions I should ask, or summarize his resume for me in the next 60 seconds. You know, I think there's going to be ways that uh, AI can really support managers right at their time of performance uh, in, in a lot of ways. Well, that certainly seems to be the the trend, in certainly in sales training, right? It's situational training, right? In-the-moment training. Um, you know, QStream, some other com- companies uh, sort of action in the pharmaceutical industry, I think, is mm-hmm. one of the industries they roll that out as. Right, right. Is, um, but it seems like to me, is, is with the automation, given that, to your point, precisely about how there's more managing of, of activities going on rather than you know coaching of people that you know those functions could be automated as well. Well I think a lot of them can. I think a lot of them. The more you know skill tactical based they absolutely can. And now this is gonna sound you know crazy, but just as I don't know, 10, 20 years ago, if someone had suggested that it's going to be normal for all police officers to be wearing body cams that are recording everything they do all the time. People would have thought that was crazy. Except in Minneapolis. Right? <laughs> Except in Minneapolis. Like I said, there's often a human way to bypass this mm-hmm. stuff. Um, you know, but, but the technology has gotten to the point where it's, you know, physically available, it's becoming more affordable and it's becoming more normal. Um, and certainly it isn't everywhere today, but we'll, we'll get there. Well, as going back to our pharmaceutical rep example you know, that, I, that I keep sure. leaning on, 
Well, especially in industries where compliance is uh, is key. You know, why why aren't we recording all of the conversations that a sales representative has with a physician? And if we are doing that, AI can even right now listen for key words and say and, and report back, wow, Kevin, you know, called on uh, called on Andy and only mentioned the drugs brand name once. Well, in a 10 minute standup call, mm-hmm. best practice is five times. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's one of those, you know, it's a very simple example. But at the very least, that AI coach, that AI sales manager could at the end of every call or at the end of every day, you know, give me my individual coaching report. And, you know, today it would be very crude and often wrong. 10 years from now, it's going to be a heck of a lot smarter. 20 years from now, 50 years from now, you know, there's, there's um, you know, having those ride-alongs in sales management that used to be done by humans could really be done uh, recorded and virtual. Uh, um, you know, so I think, I think a lot of that stuff could be done. Well, and yep. to your point, and some of it is already. Let's take, for instance, recording the calls. Not necessarily, though. There is a new application coming out though that has been released that will do it in real time. You know, listen, transcribe, provide suggestions in real time. But most of them, you know, record right now. But but it's interesting. You know, they provide coaching, or they say this is you know provides you the data you can use to coach your reps to make better calls. Guess as I. The sort of definition of of coaching that I think people are sort of confusing, um, coaching with I hate to say it, with with the coaching you know tactical coaching versus strategic coaching. Which when we talk about people need to be coached more, it's not about how to make a better better call necessarily. It's about problem solving. It's about them. Yes, and and I see this sort of unfortunately sort of bastardization of of the word taking place. I think managers are gravitating to it's like oh if I just have to you know look at the the analytics put out by our system that analyzes the phone calls I'll coach them on to make a better call oh I did my coaching right right no I, I think you bring up a good point and, and again it's more of the tactical stuff that I think is going to be easier but if I just think about I mean the reps I've had over the years and the reps who call on me now as a prospect or a customer, I mean, the best, it goes back to the best ones are the ones that can connect with me on a human level. They have very high emotional intelligence or whatever you want to call it. And uh, that's the kind of stuff that is harder to coach someone on, you know, and, and I, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know if a computer will be able to get to that level or not, but, you know, how to tell someone Hey, you know, we just went out to that business lunch and here's two things that you should keep in mind if you're eating with a client, (laughs) you know, and I don't know, maybe, maybe a computer would say, Hey, you ordered a salad and that tends to get stuck in your teeth. So you might not want to do that, (laughs) but there's more subtle things than that, that I don't know that I'd ever be able to do. Well, but I also think about coaching more in the context of like, uh, I don't know if you read, uh, the coaching habit by Michael Bungastanier. I mean, to me, yeah, I just spoke to him a couple weeks ago. Yeah. And to me, the single best book written about coaching and you know there's a framework based on seven questions that you ask the manager asks just questions right right um as opposed to saying try this try this try this try that which is right now what people think coaching is which is is really not for trying to develop individuals especially you know to exist in this world that that uh, and survive and thrive in the world where where uh you know their people skills are going to be tested yeah, they need more of the strategic coaching, the the 
the person oriented. Yes, I know. I absolutely agree. And that's where, you know, when you get into like, uh, you know, what, you know, one of my, the topics I care a lot about of employee engagement, that's, I mean, it, it, it is, uh, you know, you call it strategic or whatever. I mean, that's what the, the leaders need to be doing is having these conversations around, Hey, it's been six months. Let's have a cup of coffee you know, what's, what's your career path? Like, where do you want to be Andy in three years, five years? Can you still get there? Do you think in this organization, why or why not? Mm-hmm. Who do you need to know? What developmental areas do we need to strengthen? You know, that's a growth button, uh, you know, recognition, you know, providing, uh, hell, I don't think I'm going to feel too good if, um, Amazon Alexa tells me good job. Maybe I would, but I'll feel <laughs> a lot better if a I human, a human I don't think it'll be the same thing does you know yeah well uh, yeah you look at uh you know 2001 space odyssey right that's you know dave (laughs) (laughs) condescending voice you know patronizing voice you can just sort of imagine that coming coming to fruition (laughs) yeah it's it's yeah i think that's if we're really looking at environment 80 percent of knowledge worker jobs are are under threat from from automation that's really yeah, I, I said that's an interesting question to ponder. I mean, it's it, then you start to think about all these things about this. You know, what do people do for a living? Right, right. Well, um, I I think yeah, you, you, that's a whole other conversation of what happens if it's ten percent, you know, and uh, that have a whole lot of money because they're still employed and at the highest levels of of the job scale, and then you've got ninety percent or eighty percent that are if not unemployed, underemployed or making minimum wage. And that's where I think, you know, people, I beat this drum so much. People think that I'm saying like everybody, you know, 90% of people will not have jobs. What I'm saying is, you know, if you already look, there's 30% fewer manufacturing jobs than there were before. Retail jobs are going to go, you know, the same way, followed by a lot of knowledge-based professional jobs. And if you look at uh, other, now this, this trend can actually, help some countries to to do better in the short term but i mean look at the you know people are talking about the wealth gap getting mm-hmm. worse here in the united states okay well let's continue that trend what's the wealth gap looking like in india right now right so there's i've got plenty of friends in india who are multimillionaires right <laughs> and they've made it in tech and all the rest right and yet you know if you look at the wealth gap between those millionaires and what's what they'll encounter out in the the city streets you know it's I, you know, is, that, is, is this this the future with the haves and have-nots? I think it's a good question. Yeah. Well, I would, gosh, we could have a whole separate show on universal basic income. There you go. UBI. UBI. You know, there's some people think that would be the the great stimulus for the, an incredible wave of, of innovation entrepreneurialism. Yeah. You know, universal basic income, it's, it's interesting because when you look at it, you tend to get supporters of it from both, you know, the left liberals and the right conservatives. Uh, on, on the left, a lot of people say, all right, this is sort of the ultimate social net, right? So it's, <laughs> everybody gets whatever it is, $1,000 a month, $1,200 a right. month, some some basic stipend, no matter who you are. And so guaranteed basic income, and they view it as a social net. And on the right, you know, they sort of view it as an opportunity to say, all right, look, you know, if everybody's gets their thousand or $1,200 a month or whatever that number is, and we can uh, get rid of unemployment, you know, insurance and, uh, um, you know, welfare mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. all these other things, social security, um, you know, then all of a sudden we can um, say, you know, they say 30 to 40% of the budget that's going to pay for social welfare programs in the United States 
goes to the administration of those programs. You know, so so if we want to have a dollar end up in someone else's hands, it's costing a dollar thirty to a dollar forty of all the employees and everything to to manage sure. that. Sure. And it'd be a whole lot easier and cheaper to just take the middle person out, the government, and just make make the payments. But when I've looked at it, I don't know if you've looked at it closely. Look, but, well, I don't say closely. I've read several articles about it. Yeah. I don't see how the math lines up right now. Like even if you eliminate all the the social welfare programs that you can think of and replace it with a, a usually people talk about a thousand dollars, fifteen hundred dollars a month. It it's still it would still cost more than we're spending now. Um, and I haven't seen anybody lay the math out where where like we could do that shift without an increase in taxes or down the road. If there's an increase in the wealth, then um, you know, then there will be an increase in that tax base. But as of today, I don't see how how it financially makes sense. Yeah, I think the number I saw is, <laughs> to do it in the United States would be like four point three trillion dollars or something like that. Yeah, I mean, it sounded about right. Yeah, uh, we don't have that lying around. No, <laughs> last I checked. No. So yeah, it has to come from has to come from somewhere. It seems like it'd be a hard bet to make to say, yeah, we we're going to roll out this program. And to do it, we're just going to stop. You know, we're going to stop a lot of other forms of, of social welfare programs that we have that people right. rely on, in the thought that this is going to work. Um, but hey, you know, if we've got large numbers of people whose jobs are being supplanted by automation, then it's going to take something like that, though. I think to uh, you know prevent people being on the streets uh, exercising their Second Amendment rights. There you go. There you go. So. Yeah, very, very, very interesting. Well, hey, let's transition a little bit. I, I know we sort of got off track a little bit, but... <laughs> transition off the robots are coming the, for off us. The robots topic. are coming to kill us all, right? Um, <laughs> is is you had published something, it was the last sort of five minutes or so we have here, is you had published an article about uh, celebrating your 50th birthday. Uh, so 51 tips to win at life. <laughs> yeah, a little different. Happy birthday, by the way. And Thank you. so you made it. The half century. <laughs> I didn't always know if I would. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There are a few moments I thought about too. So, so I just want to go through some of those. Um, sure. Let's see. So one is da, 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 da. the purpose of life is to live a life of purpose. So tell us what you meant by that. Well, I think. You know what I've <laughs> come to believe after half the century. You know, I think for when I was. You know, a college-aged man, you know, I was just sort of always wondering, like, what is my purpose on the earth and what is my unique gift? And, you know, why why did God put me on the planet? What am I supposed to be doing? And I get a lot of those kinds of questions, you know, from my readers and listeners. Mm -hmm. and, you know, I've come to a point now where, I, you know, I don't think that there's one truth that comes from outside somewhere that we have to discover. I think that step one, you you need to realize that you, your life will feel a whole lot better when you when it has a purpose. So purpose does matter. Having a reason to get out of bed and to fight the fight and to try to give some meaning to your life beyond what happens day to day, to try to fight for some kind of legacy, it will make you happier, will add to your life. But I also think that 
it's not that it's an external truth to be discovered. It's one we can choose, and it's one that can change. Mm-hmm. So the purpose of life is to live a life of purpose, and we get to choose you know, what that purpose is. And I think for some people – uh, you, you know, it's they had they know what their purpose is, or they choose their purpose when they're seven years old, and it's the same purpose. I think others, you know, change it around as their interests and passions change as their skills develop. And I think, you know, part of what I put with that second truth was, you know, this quote I like to say is life is about making an impact, not making an income. And again, especially I think, you know, sales professionals, entrepreneurs, you know, and this is where I started out, you know, when I started my businesses in my early 20s, if someone asked me what my goal was, it was to be independently wealthy by age 30. And I had a specific number and I broke it down and I did all those things and it worked, but it was not the right goal because I think Again, living for some numeric number or for the Ferrari or whatever your your monetary you know uh, type goal is, you'll find it's a bit shallow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I know a lot of people who've made a lot of money and have a lot of toys, but you know they've blown up their marriage or they've blown up their relationship with their kids or they're just very lonely or they drop dead of a heart attack at, you know, age 30 or 40. And I, I have, have, again, unfortunately, it took me a long time to figure it out. You know, life isn't so much about making an income, it's about making an impact. And the, the, the irony is the more of an impact you can make, the more you can help other people, the more value you can provide, the higher your income is going to be, the higher your net worth will end up. It's, it can't work any other way. But people can smell it. If you're about you, if you're about the money, if you're about anything for the deal, you know, by the end of this quarter, you know, it doesn't feel very good from the buyer's side. And I think when you really are approaching each human as how can I serve? You know, what can I do to help you? How can I serve? And I so believe in my solution, in my product, in my company that I am going to tell you about it. You know, I'm going to track you down and tell you about it because you need this thing. I mean, it's a whole different way of living, selling, you know, building a company. Um, So that, that's really what was behind that, that statement. Well, and the purpose also doesn't necessarily have to be work-related. And so I think for a lot of people, and to the point is, they still will be more successful in the long run. If there's something outside of themselves, too, not just the customer, but that they're trying to have a purpose to serve. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So whether it's a charity, whether it's church, whether it's you know some activities, get involved with mentoring someone, uh, helping someone else is, yeah, doing something outside of yourself really is very powerful. And I think frees you up in ways you don't really anticipate to succeed at work that's right that's right all right so um actually we sort of run out of time i was going to run through more of these but i urge people to go to uh, go to your blog and (laughs) and and read the article um because yeah even the first uh first 10 a lot of you didn't get i mean i got through all 51 but i mean the first 10 were uh, enough to keep you occupied for a while oh that's great i'm glad to hear it yeah so all right so, Kevin, unfortunately, we've come to the end. So, tell people how they can find this article on your blog and uh, connect with you. Yeah, absolutely. Again, thanks for the opportunity, Andy. And uh, if anyone is interested in this 51 Tips to Win at Life, it's at kevincruz.com. Last name's K-R-U-S-E. And then you can find all my other stuff, leadx.org. 
tons of free uh, training and information uh, all around leadership, career uh, advice every single day. No, and you have a podcast as well, right? I do. Lead, uh, yeah, the LeadX Show is a daily podcast as well. Thanks, Andy. Yeah, don't want you to forget that. So, uh, <laughs> Kevin, thank you very much for coming on the show again. Thanks. We'll have you again. And friends, thank you for spending this time with us. Make sure you come back. Join me again tomorrow for another great episode of Accelerate. Until then, if you get a chance, really appreciate it. You go to iTunes, subscribe, leave a review. We want to hear back from you what we can do to make this a even better, more valuable investment of your time. So thanks again for joining me. Until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. sales strategists. At Revenue.io, we're not just imagining the future of sales, we're building it. We offer the world's most complete platform for revenue teams, and we're featured in the most recent Forrester Waves for both sales engagement and conversation intelligence. With Revenue.io, you can slash call prep time to seconds, guide your reps in real time to have more successful conversations, and after calls, we generate ready-to-send recap emails so sellers can keep deals soaring toward the finish line at light speed. See the future of sales now at Revenue.io.